0: As 2020 finally ended last week, many activists looked back at that year with regret. As the United States rose up in protest following the killing of George Floyd, some reforms to policing were made, but as one local activist put it, we just got crumbs when we wanted the whole plate. With many new elected leaders being sworn in at all levels of government, now may be the first chance to see what reforms get turned into policy the san diego union tribune i'm daniel wheaton and this is your san diego news fix alex riggins you're a member of the public safety team at the san diego union tribune and over the holiday weekend you wrote a story kind of recapping the year of protest and had a lot of people reflect on what happened in writing this story can you start by characterizing the mood of the activists how do they feel the situation has changed since this summer
1: yeah, so um, I have to give a lot of credit to to my colleague David Hernandez, who who co-wrote this story with me as well. Um, yeah, our, our goal was kind of to talk to to different people involved in um, in the criminal justice system, um, you know, from, from police chiefs to activists and protesters, um, and the the sense that we kind of got from some of the older activists and and you know reform advocates um, was that not not nearly enough was done. This past year, you know, with with all of the um, kind of momentum that that seemed to be building up um, in the last week of May, first week of June, uh, you know, following the death of George Floyd and the the protests, um, there seemed to be a lot of momentum. There seemed to be kind of change on the way, and then it kind of fizzled out. Um, Some of the younger protest organizers who maybe you know don't have as much experience. Um, you know, they still took a lot of positives out of it. They still had a lot of friends who, um, you know, whose kind of, you know, hearts and minds were changed this year or, or in 2020, um, you know, after the death of George Floyd and seeing that that video. Um, and so they were maybe a little bit more optimistic um, about some of, you know, hopefully that this uh, this 2020, the protests and everything will, will have more lasting change. But some of the older activists who've been in this fight a little bit longer, um, you know, just kind of felt like it was a wasted opportunity.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's not like nothing happened. There were some small changes that were made here locally. Can you recap some of the changes that, you know, went into effect over 2020 and some that, you know, will come soon?
1: Sure. So the kind of the biggest one, the most wide ranging one was um, all, um, pretty much all law enforcement agencies in the county banned the carotid restraint. Um, so so police kind of had these two different neck holds that they used. There was the choke hold, which is pretty much already banned everywhere. Um, and then the carotid restraint, which they said was, you know, safer and, and effective on, on someone, um, you know, who was resisting arrest. Um, and so, you know... It, it was kind of a weird thing because the carotid restraint wasn't what the officers were using on George Floyd, right? They were just kneeling on him, kneeling on his neck. Um, the carotid restraint, I guess, just because it was a similar type thing, uh, you know, a neck restraint, um, restraining a, a, a person who's not cooperating. Um, it got a lot of attention. It was something that activists have been working on for years, um, you know, trying to get that banned. And so, um, you know, it was, it was one of the things I think that, you um, that law enforcement agencies kind of kind of thought, you know, we don't use this this much um, anyway. And so, um, you know, kind of to appease the calls for reform, we'll, we'll ban this. And, and so they did, the Sheriff's Department did, uh, San Diego Police Department did, um, and, and pretty much every law enforcement agency in, in the county. So that was the big one. Um, San Diego Police also, uh, you know, made a new de-escalation policy um, where it's now mandatory for them to try to de-escalate a situation um, where before it was just kind of you know I guess strongly encouraged. Um, they also you know implemented a new um, a, a new rule where they where an officer has to intervene if they see one of their colleagues um, you know using too much force in a situation. Um, Chula Vista you know the, the the second largest police department in the in the county um, also is is you know in the process of updating. Um, you know their de-escalation and and uh, duty to intervene policies. Um, so there have been some some uh, you know some some updates to those policies and, and things like that. And and those were kind of the big the big wins for um, you know the criminal justice reform advocates.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and one of the largest arguments you hear from activists is that many of these things are low-hanging fruit from their perspective. So even though it appears that these departments are doing something, it really isn't enough to change the systemic racism and policing actions that activists are really trying to continue to focus on as we move forward.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and and I will just say, like on the so like on the media side of things, um, you know, we did see, you know, especially standing up police since they had. Uh, you know several police shootings after um, George Floyd's death. You know they they really did um, you know try to be more open and 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 get information out quicker. Um, and I spoke to Chief Nisle, uh you know for this story, and and he you know confirmed that that was a um, that was really you know a, a focus for them. Um, so so the Friday after George you know so George Floyd was killed on on Memorial Day, um, the Friday after that, so five days later. Um San Diego police officers shot and killed a, a murder suspect. Um it was a guy who, you know, he was under investigation uh by police for, you know, allegedly firing a gun while threatening his mother. Um, you know, like a week before, and then and then he allegedly killed a guy um just in kind of a random act of violence. And so, you know, police showed up, there was a there was a brief standoff, and then he came out and they shot and killed him. Um that night, you know, the the homicide uh uh lieutenant uh came out and briefed us and and really went into great detail about what had happened you know he told me all those details um you know that i just explained which in in past events you know they they weren't as likely to say anything um you know they're they would just be very vague um and and that night you know uh, with the police tape around and stuff there was some tension you know because there was the there was the protest going on at that point um, in Minneapolis, in New York, in LA, there had been some big ones, um, and so kind of in an effort to avoid uh, any sort of you know big violent protests here, um, you know they were very very open with what happened. Um, a couple of weeks later, you know there was another uh, incident where um, you know police shot and killed someone. You know and that night they released photos, and the next day they released the video of the shooting. Um, you know so, the, so there were some steps as well like that where you know police did try to get information out quicker, did try to get videos out quicker, to, you know to give context to um, incidents involving officers so that you know, so that we didn't get you know rumors spreading or, or you know things happening where, where we did get you know a lot of people here angry um, about stuff that happened.
0: Yeah, that's one thing that really underscores this entire year of protest is that the role that video played the entire time because a lot of the buildup up to George Floyd, that was when those videos circulated of the killing of Ahmaud Aubrey, of you know various snippets of what happened to Breonna Taylor. So people were consuming this information at a much more higher rate than they were in the past and because many people were at home because of the pandemic out of a job you couldn't run from it. So I think that was why things got as big as they did nationwide was because this fire was stoked over a series of weeks. And George Floyd was the thing that finally caused to ignite.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, we saw how long the, um, the, you know, the one that you mentioned in in Georgia with the, with the jogger, um, you know, it, it took, it took months for anything to really happen on that, um, you know, took a, a an investigation by a newspaper to kind of get attention on it. And then the video came out. Um, and so, you know, in that void, you know, things can happen, things can be said, and, and you don't, uh, you know, you, you just don't really know. And so, I, yeah, I mean, I think, I think that's one thing where, um, you know, the Senegal Police Department at least deserves a lot of credit this year was um, when they did, you know, after at least the the, the George Floyd killing, um, when they did have incidents involving officers, they, they did try to get, you know, as much information out as, as early as possible. Um, I mean, I think it's a self-preservation thing, right, to quell any, um, you know, any any type of big, large, you know, protests that could get violent. Um, but, you know, it, it's also they deserve credit because they're getting that information out quickly, which is, you know, as reporters, that's what we're always asking for, um, is for them to get us as much information as possible uh, as quickly as possible so we can give context to incidents as well.
0: hmm and looking back at this summer, one of the criticisms of the way it grew online was uh, the so-called memification of Breonna Taylor. How do you think that these messages that got reduced to just, you know, little short sentences and Instagram shares, how do you think that affected the movement? Do you think that, uh, you know, kind of hindered some of the things that could have happened?
1: Yeah, I, th- I think, um, you know, I, there, was, there was one uh, Bishop Cornelius Bowser, um, who's a long time you know activist in this area, um, advocate for for you know criminal justice reform. Um, you know he he specifically mentioned uh, defund the police and abolish the police as as things that he saw as kind of, um, you know, kind of putting the brakes on the movement, right? So there was a lot of momentum. Um, and then he thought that that those kind of slogans um, really kind of hindered things happening later on. You know, months down the road when when um, there was legislation in, in the state and and things like that you know he, he saw that as as the police unions were able to to take those slogans and, and kind of kill some of the um, some of the more aggressive um, you know legislation that was proposed I think as far as um, you know some of the other things that the I can't breathe um, the say her name you um, you know, I, I think those are, are are things that is just easily digestible for um, for protesters, for people online. Um, you know, and, and I think I think the movement has grown because of because of things like that, and and they're they're short and they're easy, and um, and it's you know it's a way for people to to kind of you know easily express uh, their outrage at at um, you know some of these killings.
0: Yeah, it's like, in a way, we're existing in two different realities in which, you know, on the internet, these slogans and these hashtags evolve and change way more than our language does about substantive policy changes. So it's kind of difficult to reconcile this, you know, constantly evolving digital reality versus the legislative and investigative one. The fact that, you know, getting answers and the killing of Aubrey and Taylor took months and months and months because that's how long it takes to actually do the work.
1: Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. And, and I will say just going back to the, you know, to the defund and, and abolish the police, um, you know, obviously there's there's um, there's kind of a hardcore group of protesters that that are real into that. Um, a lot of though these, you know, these bigger protests, you know, you didn't you didn't hear a lot of that from from some of the people that just, you know, just wanted to come out and, and you know, support Black Lives Matter movement, um, you know, or, or, you know, show their solidarity with um, George Floyd and stuff. And then, you know, I asked the police chiefs that I talked to, I, I, I spoke to Chief Nislight and Chief uh, Roxanna Kennedy down in Chula Vista. Um, you know, Chief Nislight was very was very short and certain. You know, he just said, I don't agree. Um, whereas, you know, Chief Kennedy in Chula Vista took a little bit more of a, of a nuanced approach to it um, and saying like, look, yeah, like we as police officers are asked to do way too much, you know. And, and I specifically mentioned, um, you know, dealing with mental health crisis crises and, and dealing with, um, you know, homelessness and and asking her like, you know, should police officers be dealing with this stuff and, and be, you know, sent out to those calls? And she said, you know, look, we, we have too much on our plate, um, you know, and, and there's these big societal um, systemic problems that our officers are asked to deal with in minutes, you know? And, and so she's like, yeah, you know, she didn't say defund my police department. Um, but she definitely, you know, took took the look like, yeah, we are asked to do too much, and and um, you know, with the implication like, yeah, if if there were some sort of social services and and some sort of way to respond to a, a mental health emergency and and a homelessness call um, without the police, like it makes sense um, because because these officers are asked to do too much and are asked to deal with some of these problems that are systemic and and very longstanding and and. to deal with them in a matter of minutes you know so um you know there was a little bit more of a nuanced look from her um at that issue um you know as 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 far as like defunding the police
0: And another activist, uh, Tasha Williamson, spoke about how the firing of a La Mesa police officer following a the controversial arrest at a trolley stop in May was an example of how police discipline should work. We had some news on that yesterday from David Hernandez. Uh, can you recap what happened back in May and kind of how that fed into that large protest in La Mesa?
1: Yeah, so so the, kind of the timeline was uh, was George Floyd died on on Memorial Day. It was a Monday. And on Wednesday, I think it was Tuesday or Wednesday of that same week, um, this video emerged out of La Mesa, out of this trolley stop of Officer Matt Degas, um, you know, kind of pushing and shoving uh, Amari Johnson. Um, and there was kind of, there was there was video from um, from Amari's friends and Amari is a young black man. Uh, Officer Matt Degas is white. His, uh, the friends that he, that he was waiting for, I think were, were white. Um, and, you know, they filmed this interaction, like, what is going on here? You know, why is, why is this officer pushing him? And, 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 you know, the, um, the, I think the allegation was that he was smoking where he shouldn't have been, you know, where he was not allowed to smoke or something. And, um, and so this, uh, this video emerged and so it kind of became, um, kind of the, one of the flashpoints here locally. Um, and so that's why, you know, it was the first place, uh, on, on the Friday, you know, a couple of days after. Um, there was a there was a small protest that was peaceful. It was a march, and then the Saturday was the one that turned really big, uh, with the with the bank branches burned down and and stuff like that. Um, but anyway, a little while later, um, you know, there was a lot of investigation. Uh, the police department said they weren't going to charge uh, Amari Johnson with with uh, whatever infraction he was, you know, supposed to have committed the smoking or whatever. Um, and I think they said that he that he had pushed or shoved the officer. And so they charged, or they were going to charge him with that too. That's what they, you know, cited him for originally. Um, and so anyway, after a while, then it came out that the officer ha- uh, was no longer with the department. We didn't know for a long time, um, kind of what had happened there. And then, um, and then, yeah, just just yesterday, it, it came out that the DA's office is, was charging him with fol- uh, filing a false report. Um, because you know he said that that uh that Amari Johnson had shoved him, and um, you know nowhere in in any of the videos, including his own body camera video, and the videos of other officers, um, was there any evidence of of, of uh, him shoving the officer. And so you know it looks like he's been um, you know charged with that with with following or filing that false report.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think the big change here is the fact that, you know, he ultimately left the department while in the past we've seen cases of an uh, officer doing something that the officer shouldn't have, and they just get put on desk duty for a couple months and they're back on the beach, which, you know, erodes community trust when things like that happen and there's no recourse among the police department itself.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And and that was one of the things you mentioned, uh, you know, Tasha Williamson, you know, she had, it was funny because she had called for, um, she had called for him to be charged uh, in our story, which, you know, which ran on Sunday and I'm not saying that influenced the DA and whatsoever, but the next day, um, uh, you know, he actually was charged. And so, um, uh, kind of interesting timing there. Um, you know, but, but when she spoke to us, you know, there wasn't any charge we knew that he'd been, uh, you know, let go from the police department. We knew he was no longer working there, um, uh, but he hadn't been charged and, and activists really wanted him to be charged. And, and it turns out, you know, that was in the works.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh, there's lots of new leadership that's recently been, uh, you know, uh, sworn in across the county. We have a new board of supervisors. San Diego has a new mayor and city council. How do you expect activists to pressure all these new elected leaders?
1: Yeah, so I mean, we saw it. We we saw it with um, with the election of the uh, of the council president. Um, you know, there was a there was a lot of uh, kind of grassroots support behind uh, Monica Montgomery's step. Um, who's been, you know, really big champion of, of uh, racial and social justice and, and criminal justice reform. Um, and there was, you know, hundreds of people that called into the to the council meeting um, who wanted to, you know, who, voicing their support for her. Um, and then I believe it was uh, Jen Campbell who actually you know, ended up winning that election, um, just the election you know, of the council five four. Um, but we saw that already. You know the, the pressure that that the that the activists and and, um, and kind of criminal justice reform advocates were 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 putting on the council, and I think that's going to be their game plan going forward. I mean, they did the same thing with um, with the budget when when the budget was up for um, a vote last. Uh, I think it was in July, August, maybe, uh, or, or June or July. I can't remember. But um, you know, there was hundreds of people who called into that meeting. Um, I think that's going to be their game plan moving forward. It's just anytime there's any 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 uh, issue that is is really important for the for the criminal justice reform, um, you know, advocates and activists, uh, they're gonna they're gonna call in, they're gonna show up, they're gonna protest, they're gonna you know they're gonna do whatever it takes to, to make their voice heard. We'll see what actually happens. Um, you know, we saw they were out there supporting uh, Montgomery step and and she didn't get the. The council presidency. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, but I think that, you know, that's going to be their game plan for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. And finally, uh, when it comes to protest movements, it often appears that at first nothing is really accomplished in the immediate. Uh, I can think of Occupy Wall Street as a perfect example. Many of their claims made in the early 2010s weren't really heated. And then bit by bit, some of these claims were taken up by politicians such as Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and some of them are even going to be enacted by an incoming Biden administration. When considering the slate of changes that activists are calling on police and governments to make, what do you start to see as the first things that maybe in 2022, 2025 could be implemented you know, here in San Diego and beyond?
1: So, so one thing I thought was interesting, um, so David Hernandez, uh, who, who co-wrote that story with me, um, you know, he spoke to he spoke to Jack Schaefer, who's the who's the president of the um, of the local police union, and uh, and Jack actually vo- voiced his support for a some sort of database where officers, you know, if if they're fired or uh, you know or quit over misconduct, um, then they go into that database and don't get hired again because you know as we've seen, you know, officers can get fired for misconduct in one department, they can move right over to, to another one. Um, almost, you know, almost there's no way to, to stop that at the moment. And, and, um, and so, you know, when the, when the police union president kind of, kind of says like, yeah, that, that seems like a good, I you know, a good idea, as long as, as long as they have their due process and, and, you know, can challenge it or whatever. Um, and that's something that, you know, some of the, some of the advocates brought up as well. Um, I, I think they called it a, a decertification board, right. Where you can, where you can decertify an officer so that he, he or she can't go and, and get another job right away, or get another job, you know, in a different department. So that seems like something that you know that they might focus on. Um, other than that, I, I I don't really know, you know, because a lot of the stuff that the that the activists uh, want, um, you know, that's stuff that police departments don't want, that the unions definitely don't want, and that we haven't seen a lot of appetite from, you know, from. Uh, from elected leaders uh, passing that sort of legislation. So it kind of remains to be seen. Um, There were some, there were some, there was some legislation at the state level that got brought forward um, kind of in the months after uh, George Floyd's death that ended up, you know, kind of dying right at the end of of the, of the legislative session in Sacramento. And so we'll see if any of that's revived with a little bit more, um, you know, a little bit more research, a little bit more time behind it. Um, rather than some of those quick bills that were, you know, that were just drawn up in, in June and July. Um, so we'll see. But um, that that's kind of, you know, what we're planning on doing next is looking at um, and asking around, you know, what what might happen moving forward. Our, our, story, our story Sunday was a little bit more looking back at the year that was in, in the protests of 2020. And then, um, you know, we're planning on looking forward at what's going to happen this year and and what legislation might be brought forward again.
0: Certainly, and it's worth noting that any big changes that will require lots of investment—you know—the current state of the economy, thanks to the virus, that's going to slow things down. So it may take until we hit those roaring twenties do we truly actually see investment in you know some alternate forms of policing that require massive investment from various levels of government.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the the coronavirus pandemic and and the the uh, you know the hits that it's had on budgets is, is definitely going to you know, play a role in all of this.
0: All right, Alex Riggins. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the San Diego News Fix. It's Tuesday. So listen to the latest episode of Name Drop. Here the UT's Abby Hamblin and Christy Doughton interview Amanda Frecker. She's a scientist who studies the ice sheets of Antarctica and Greenland from the Scripps Institution of Oceanography. Name drop San Diego is available wherever you get your podcasts. This podcast is made possible by subscribers to the San Diego Union Tribune. If you are not yet a subscriber, please go to uniontrib.com slash subscribe. Until next time.